Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 11, Take Back the Night. Mary, what happened this week? Take Back the Night Week, a program that aims to end violence in sexual, romantic, and domestic relationships, begins with clips of how animals ask for sex in the wild, which are somehow relevant. Callie calls David a clingy koala, and Donna calls John Sears a snake. Neither of them are wrong. Donna is just more right. Laura has called Steve like five more times at the keg house. She calls again while his brothers are complaining to him about it, and they force him to talk to her. He asks her to meet him at the peach pit to say, Sorry we banged, but I have a girlfriend, so that's why I haven't been calling you back. Laura is reasonably upset. Callie, Donna, and Andrea attend a seminar about date rape. Andrea offers opinions about responsibility I'm not sure she would actually have and gets mad when Dan challenges them. Laura shares a story of her night with Steve and has the support of Callie and several other women as she plans to tell everyone at the Take Back the Night rally that Steve is a date rapist. Except when Kelly finds out Laura's talking about Steve, she completely changes her mind. At the rally, Kelly stands up before Laura can and tells everyone that Steve is a good guy who saved her from assault at a Halloween party. Laura rushes away. David wants Donna to take over his broadcasting of the Take Back the Night events. He is sick of hearing about how trash men are and wants to hear less about how much the world sucks. He also tells us that Stacy Sloan, the guest speaker Steve hit on that time, is no longer with us. R.I.P. Stacy. Brenda has been too busy with actual romance and doesn't understand romantic poetry. Dylan offers to help her study. They get into an argument in class about their conflicting views about a poem. They eventually make up and Brenda fully supports Dylan's decision to pie John's ears in the face. It turns out Professor Randall is really serious about dinner time with Brandon, Deshaun, and Lucinda because it's happening now. Lucinda tells Brandon she'll stop flirting with him in front of her husband if he bangs her on this table. Brandon says no. But if he hadn't, Deshaun probably wouldn't be wouldn't have seen Lucinda squeezing his little bicep at the gym, leading Deshaun to try to blackmail Brandon into taking his exam for him. Brandon says he won't do it. Later, he packs a bag and tells Brenda to tell Jim and Cindy he went camping somewhere. Sure, Brandon, will do. I just really want to be there when Brenda has to have that conversation. They're like, where did he go camping? And she's just like... Outside. I feel (laughs) that is a thing. Yeah. Like, I just feel like there's going to be some panic there, and I can't wait. Well, it's like... But is there? Because, like, everybody freaked out that she went to Vegas with Stuart, which don't know if they're still a thing because he's not really mentioned in this episode or is in this episode. But it's like they all freaked out, including Brandon. But then it's like when Brandon wants to go off and just, like, not tell anybody or or do anything or whatever, it's probably fine because yeah. Brandon has a job or had a job. Brandon has his own car. Brandon tried to pay for his own stuff i don't know (laughs) no what's gonna happen is if something goes wrong and they can't get a hold of him brenda's gonna get in trouble oh of course of course how could you let your brother go off camping by himself to somewhere why didn't you ask more questions about this somewhere that he went off to 
I also love the line that she throws in where she's like, call collect. I'll accept the charges. Mm-hmm. Just like She's like, I'm a professional at running away now. <laughs> yeah, this is what you do. Don't worry. Just call here. It's fine. I'll answer. <laughs> oh, okay. But that's like the only lighthearted thing that really happens. Well, second, second lighthearted thing. Yeah, I was actually going to say, do we want to try and like talk about all the take back the night stuff and then do like the side stuff with Dylan and Brenda and their poetry Midterm, but now that I'm realizing it's the end of November, I'm confused about the midterm thing. Um, but, like, we could talk about that last. We could talk about Brandon and Lucinda and all that stuff last and just, like, not end this yeah. on everything. Sure. Let's do that. Because, yeah, I mean, this episode opens. Immediately. Like, <laughs> immediately, which really threw me off. I, like – Literally woke up this morning like, oh, man, I have like three and a half minutes. I'll go brush my teeth during the commercials. And then it started. Yeah. It was like I, I skipped the um, opening credits this time and tried to time it right to when it would get back from a commercial break. And I saw my commercials. And then it just started. And I was like, wait, back up? And then I was like, oh, man, I got to see an ad. And so I saw an ad. <laughs> And then it just, like, started right where I had originally started, which I was like, holy crap, why do we go from a three-and-a-half-minute montage every other episode to just, like, boom, we're in it? I mean, all right. I don't know, but I'm for it. Yeah, same. Because, yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, we say there's no montage, but we do have to watch a bunch of animals, like, about to do it. Attempting which... to do it? Shooting their shot? I don't <laughs> – Which, like Mary said, makes no sense because, like – most of those animals don't have like relationship it's not like a mate for life like you see your other penguin kind of a thing right like, right it was just like hey did you guys know snakes fuck <laughs> like but am i wrong no no you're not it's it's super weird i mean and also the super weird thing is like david's like randomly putting his radio show on somewhere that's not a studio and he's like hey it's our take back the night rally and workshop and event and thing we hope to end violence against women and blah 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 and and then yeah during the, we get this weird camera angle of kelly and donna watching the film it's like from the floor <laughs> like shoots upwards so you get like she kelly looks like she has really big knees because you're like <laughs> seeing it from the floor and yeah, they're like making fun of the, the video, which is fine because it's like, yeah, like, why are we watching this and why yeah. is this relevant? But then like she accuses John of being a snake and Donna accuses David of being a clingy koala. Was that what it was? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So. Which, yeah, both valid. And I do appreciate that, you know, whatever the campus radio is, has decided like we need to cover this entire week. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I, f I feel like it makes sense that David would volunteer to do that and be like, yes, I'm going to cover this whole thing because I really want to, you know, keep building my reputation as a radio DJ. Mm -hmm. Does piss me off a little bit later in the episode. And he's like, I'm tired of hearing about this. Yeah, I'm over it. It's yeah. not a thing anymore because I decided I'm over it. Yeah. You know what? I'm tired of it too. That's why we have to have this stuff. Mm-hmm. This was spoiler alert i don't like david in this episode yeah i mean let's be real none of the guys are really all that great in this episode no. oh my gosh i have i seriously i have a lot of opinions well then we'll keep it going because then like randomly lucinda is on the stage after the movie um 
And this was the first time I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're supposed to believe that she's a grad student at this point or like getting her PhD or something. Yeah, she's what I don't remember what she called it, but it's like all but the doctorate or something like she hasn't actually given her dissertation. And this was the first time I was like, oh, wait, hold on. Lucinda might be old. Like, we don't know. But, like, she seemed old. And then I was like, wait, she's also married to, which we learned his first name, Corey Randall. Um, didn't I still guess him was, Jeff. Yeah, didn't, didn't think it was going to be Corey. But, and he looks kind of old, too. So I'm like, hold on. How old is Lucinda and why is she interested in Brandon? But that's a whole different conversation. But anyway, Brandon and Corey are in the back. And they have some conversation about Lucinda and then he transitions to talking about Deshaun and and all that. But I just found it weird that Lucinda was giving a talk. Yeah, I mean, she's an anthropologist. So I feel like those like, I, I don't know if this is even still the term, but like the soft sciences, like anthropology, sociology, psychology, like those are the ones that are really going to be the talks for this mm-hmm. week. I think what really bothered me in this scene of Brandon and Corey talking is how little anyone really paid attention. Like, Brandon's not even trying. Right. He's just like, oh, yeah, Lucinda's a player. Mm-hmm. And then they're complaining about Deshaun again. And I feel like it's just proof that Brandon is a bad tutor if he's saying, like, oh, isn't this about the time that Deshaun should be cramming for his tests? Like, we get it. You're bad at tutoring. He shouldn't have to cram if you've been tutoring him for over a month. Right. And we can assume it's been about that long because I think the first time that we um, we hear about Brandon being a tutor was around the same time that Stuart and Brenda got together. I genuinely just picked like, well, Brenda says she was with Stuart for five weeks. So I'm sure Brandon was tutoring, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Deshaun for five weeks. Yep. And it was the same thing of... I'm going to struggle real hard to call this man Corey. Uh, Corey being like, well, yeah, we're having dinner tonight. And Brandon being like, that's still on. (laughs) Wait, you were serious? (laughs) Every time. Wait, what dinner? (laughs) That's probably the only thing that makes me like laugh about Brandon this episode is every time he's just like, wait, you were serious about that? Yeah. It's like how much he doesn't want to go to dinner. I know. He's like, if I just pretend that I don't know about it. I don't have to go. Exactly. Yep. But then we transition over to our favorite place in the world, the keg house. That place needs to be burned to the ground. And everyone in it, quite frankly. Um, Yeah. But John Sears approaches Steve um, about Laura leaving five messages for Steve, basically saying, like, you need to answer the phone. We're sick of taking messages. Like, just don't answer the phone. Like, that's a solve. Anyway. Or get an answering machine so you don't have to take a message. Anyway, and so apparently Steve only went out with her that one time. And then, ew, nameless frat boy, who I still don't remember his name. I don't it know if we were matter. ever told. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. I don't even want to give this guy a name because he's like, Steve, you should just pass her around to another one of your brothers. Ew. Yeah. No, there, there were a lot of times in this episode that I just had to pause the episode and be like, this can't be real. This yeah. can't be real writing. Yeah. 
Because it's also like for all the times that I feel like this show has tried to toe the line of what is stereotypical fraternity and sorority, this is one of those times where it's like you can make it different. You don't have to like fall into this what everybody assumes fraternity brothers are like. And this is really just casting Steve in such a bad light. Right. Like, I mean, this entire episode casts Steve in such a bad light, and I'm still just, like, clinging. I'm like, Steve is not this shitty of a person. hmm But if he doesn't leave Keg House, I can't like him anymore. Oh, totally. Because at this point, it's association, right? Yeah. And, like, he's not helping with it. Like, they pressured him into, you know, having sex with someone while he was in a relationship, and he just went with it because he wanted to be a part of the fraternity. Right. Exactly. He just – he's such a follower at this point that clearly he's willing to do whatever his fraternity brothers want him to do to, like – which even – I don't know. At this point, I don't even think it's about being cool or even being accepted. He probably just thinks this is just what you do. Yeah, I get the feeling that, you know, Rush is over. All of these things happen. He's like, I'm here now. Like, Mm -hmm. this is where I am. These are my friends. This is what I'm supposed to be. Right. But yeah, because, I mean, he knows everything that's going on with John Sears. And I don't think he ever gives Kelly a heads up. No. And I feel like she's been your friend for so much longer. And you know John Sears is a dirtbag. Yeah, it's like, don't you owe it to Kelly, your supposed best friend, who you apparently will always have the hots for? Like, don't you owe it to her to, like, protect her? You protected her from one date rapist. Why don't you protect her from another one? No, I don't know. He's, make- he's making me so mad. And he had that whole redemption arc at the end of senior year being like, I fucked up. I did all of these things wrong. I'm fixing it now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like after that happens, you can't do it again. Totally. You can't have every year being like, Sorry, guys. I hung out with a bunch of rapists. My bad. Yeah, it's like you have to have – if you're going to do something like that where you're constantly putting a character in these situations and and making him fail or be bad, the only way you can have a redemption arc over and over is if there are serious consequences. Because otherwise, it's not believable. You're you're going to do that fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me thing, where it's like, I don't believe that Steve can ever be redeemed at a certain point if mm-hmm. you keep doing this over and over. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of like, that's pr- like Steve does have consequences in this episode, but I don't think nearly as bad as he should. Oh, no. It's it's like he he almost gets moral consequences rather than actual consequences right it's like the guilt and the shame more than the actual like you did something wrong Mm -hmm. um but to to even like further that along just to make sure we're getting plot in here the next scene is essentially it's brendan dylan but the one after that to continue the steve story steve is at the peach pit or i'm sorry he hasn't shown up yet laura is at the peach pit talking to nat steve walks in which clearly they spoke on the phone and and agreed to meet up which then this is where Steve tries to own up to Laura and says he has a girlfriend. But then Laura, first of all, is clearly upset. And she's like, oh, don't take it so hard. Like stupid macho stuff. And Laura's like, um, no, dude, you pressured me into sleeping with you. And now you don't want anything to do with me. And like basically like 
you didn't have the decency, number one, to not call me after you forced me to have sex with you. Number two, you now you have a girlfriend and you really don't want anything to do with me? Like, what the heck? So clearly, Laura's hurt, which absolutely valid. Um, and Steve does nothing to, like, be a nice guy about it. No, and I feel like this is, you know – Obviously, it's the start of like a he said, she said of her being like, well, you pressured me into having sex with you. Steve saying that's not what happened. Like she showed up and was like absolutely ready to have this date with me. But this is kind of bringing up this argument that's still going on today of like before you have sex with someone, you should really have an understanding of where each person is coming from in the relationship. That 100% plus boundaries. Because when we get later into it, you we get an account of um, each person's side of the story, and it was very clear there were no boundaries set. It was not ever clear how far either one of them wanted to go. It just kept escalating. And so yeah. it was never really, like, set what this was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. Like, nobody had a conversation at the beginning of this where, like... I feel like all of this could have been avoided if they started this date with, you know, Steve being like, I do have a girlfriend. This is just like a double date with our friends. Like this Mm -hmm. is not going to go anywhere. And then no one has sex with anyone. Right. Totally. I feel like, I mean, hindsight is 2020, but it it just upset me so much. Yeah. Cause it it just makes, I think, I think it makes Steve out to be the guy that will have sex regardless or that is so um, – what's the word I'm looking for? He's like – wow, what's the word? It, he gets like seduced by sex, right? Like he's he's a boy, so the second sex is on the table, it doesn't matter who it's with, where the location is, what the circumstance. He's just – he's going to do it because he's so – I'm still looking for a word, but he's just like weakened by sex or the mm-hmm. thought that sex can happen. He's like, oh, my God. Well, what was I supposed to do? Like sex was on the table. What was and I'm a I'm a boy. Like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we've, you know, seen that before where like Steve just wants to have sex. He will go and he will find people. But there has never been a question in my mind of like at some point it stops. Mm hmm. Like, I don't know. I've seen him, like, really want to date girls and really do that kind of stuff. But there's just never been, like, I don't know. Well, yes. Like, we've we've almost seen him more as, like, a bluster guy, more as, like, the actual dirt bag. We've never actually seen him just be a shitty person except this season, right? Because he started – because he joined this fraternity, he's, like, super shitty to Celeste. But now I'm, like – now I'm really conflicted because I do feel like we've seen him be a shitty guy before. And I feel like he's done shitty things for himself over anybody else. And, like, that's why he had to have the redemption arc at the end of Mm -hmm. senior year where he was like, I'm sorry, David, that I fucked up. I'm going to go turn myself in so that nobody else gets hurt from my cheating scandal thing. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, now he's joined the fraternity. He's not telling Kelly about what John's doing. He's going out on dates with other girls knowing that he's dating Celeste. Mm -hmm. Like, is Steve actually just like a huge dirtbag and I've been avoiding it as much as possible because Ian Ziering is just such a good actor? 
I think to answer this question, we get through the episode, obviously, but Mary's already mentioned it in her synopsis, so I feel okay saying it. Have we become Kelly Taylor? Are we so quick to take up for Steve because we've been around him for these last four seasons or three and a half, whatever, that we're like, no, 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 no. Steve's not a dirtbag. We've seen how he acts. We know how he is. Are we making excuses? Is he really a dirtbag and we're just too caught up in Steve's my friend <laughs> to say he's truly a dirtbag? Because he doesn't blatantly act like John Sears. But are they so different? I know, right? <laughs> my heart hurts. I know, it sucks. I've been a Steve stan for so long. And now I'm just like, oh, no. Steve sucks. Yeah. He, he's not the worst, but he's not great either. He, he is. That's a and really good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we've um, gotten our rose-colored glasses removed for Steve. Um, I guess we'll just have to see if he gets better from this because fuck, man. I mean, yeah, we still have like six and a half seasons. I can only hope that they get better about this. But, ugh. ugh I don't so even, we have to yeah, like I, <laughs> this is definitely one of those glass shattering moments, you know, when you're like, crap, <laughs> are we the problem? <laughs> I know. Uh, I think we have to move on because like more stuff happens and we can talk more about Steve as it goes, but like I'm having a moment and the next scene is Dylan. And so it'll like, it'll bring me back. Yeah. Because, yeah, the next thing that we see after, like, Laura storms out of the peach pit and, like, all of this horrible stuff has gone down is that Dylan is over at the Walsh house. I guess they're having dinner, and he and Brenda are going to study for their uh, romantic poetry exam. Mm -hmm. And they're making all these comments of, like, oh, yeah, it's Take Back the Night week at school. And he makes a comment about how he won't go to the Take Back the Night stuff because he doesn't want to be labeled a potential date rapist. Yeah, which is the problem. <laughs> like, to be fair, I think every – like, you start at neutral. It's like yeah. people don't see Dylan and are just like, that's a pretty nice eyebrow scar. You are clearly not a rapist. Like, yeah. Of course. Like, every – especially – like when you're just learning about the dangers of the world, I feel like everyone starts labeling everyone around them of like, what could happen to me? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, like the comment there is more of a, more, it's more of an assumption that every woman that goes to take back the night automatically sees men as the enemy. And I think that is, definitely still an issue like I think there's too many biases not only from those who definitely do see all men as the enemy right like I think it's super easy to make a generalization based on so many things that have happened in our history and our present but it's also those coming from the men who assume women think that way right it's from both sides but the problem is is like you can't change someone's mind if you don't participate well and I think 
you know, like you said, there's two sides of it of this episode is written by a man and directed by a man and most of the producers are men and I do feel like there is some sort of commentary on feminism of just like, well, feminism means you hate men. Mm -hmm. But truly on the other side of it, like I don't go running at night in the winter. I have to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to go running because I don't want to be out when it's pitch black out because I don't know what's going to happen. Totally. And you know, like my sister-in-law bought or requested um, a reflective running vest this year for Christmas. I know men wear them too, but not for the same reasons, you know? And to your point, there's a reason that women either don't go out alone at night, don't go by themselves during the day sometimes, don't go running. Um, you know, there there's so many reasons that women change their behavior so that they can be constantly aware of their surroundings. And I'm not saying men don't, that things don't happen to men too, because they do. They absolutely do. It's just, it's different. And I think bringing it back to this example, Dylan and the writers are short-sighted here. This comment, whether it's like, a, a you know, further showing how men feel or not or whatever it's just it's not a good way to be <laughs> to be cliche to be the change you want to see in the world right like it's one thing to say and to put something in a show that is relatable but it's another to identify what's relatable and then be better mm-hmm. well and i mean they even ruin anything that they were trying to go for here with Brandon like leaning down because he's not having dinner with them. He's having dinner with Lucinda and Corey, Mm -hmm. but he leans over to uh, Dylan and is like, you should go. There's going to be a lot of babes there. I was like, this is not the time to throw in a joke like that. That's not funny to me. It's not funny. And it's even hard to tell if he's joking or not. I mean, Cindy definitely didn't think he was joking. A hundred percent. Like Cindy and Brenda both reacted like, what the like, if they could have, <laughs> they would have been like, Brandon, what the fuck? Yeah. And then, like, they both reacted like, I'm sorry, are you kidding? And he's like, oh, hey, sorry, sorry, like, stupid swag about him. And I'm like, dude, first of all, you're trying to bone or not bone a PhD wife person. <laughs> and number two, you always act self-righteous. When other people say things that are offensive to you, why can't you ever be self-righteous about things that are offensive to other people? Well, and I mean, the most interesting thing about the Brandon storyline, except for that line, because I hate it so much, is that Brandon spends this entire episode with people being really aggressive towards him. Mm -hmm. Like, there are several times when they're like, well, this only applies to women, but Celeste, or Celeste, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Lucinda is like, flirting with him at dinner with her husband, telling him to bang her on the table, showing up while he's working out. And essentially just like, I honestly legitimately expected her to straddle his head. (laughs) Like I was just like, oh my God, she's going to sit on his face in the gym. (laughs) Oh my God. But no, seriously, there was like so many lines in this episode that I was like, hold on, this is a broadcast show. 
Like this is on local channels for everyone to see. And they had a problem with Brenda having sex? I'm sorry. They sent all the boys to a strip club last episode and had one of the women take her top off and throw it at Stuart. Stuart. Like, yeah, the the double standard that like I it was the first season that Brenda couldn't have sex. And by now they're just like, I mean, we're not going to show the tits. Yeah. But you do know there are tits in this episode. And they're looking at them. And then the next episode, an older woman's throwing herself at Brandon, but we get an opportunity to make Brandon the better person, quote unquote. Well, and I mean, but that's the thing, right, is that he is keeps telling her like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not interested in you. And she will not leave him alone. She's Mm -hmm. following him to the gym. If this happened to a woman and like, you know, if Kelly's at the gym and John Sears shows up and is like pushing down on the press bar while she's trying to exercise, like any normal person would be like, well, my heart starts skipping a beat and I'm getting really nervous and I want to get Kelly out of that situation. But like, People aren't thinking that about Brandon. No, and I think it's kind of that, like, um, that situation where people think that rape and sexual assault can't happen to men because men want the attention. That's You know what I mean? Dan literally says it later. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's like men are supposed to want sex and men are supposed to have a high sex drive and they're supposed to want the attention. So you can't blame them, number one, when they do get raped, but then you also can't blame them when they want to have sex with you. What's well, like it's it's the definition of toxic masculinity that, yeah. you know, men can't get raped and if they do, that they can't talk about it and that's like you can't have emotions. Right. Like this I think that was one of the many things that just really pissed me off in this episode. Oh, a hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. And it happens throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. And especially with the Lucinda stuff, like her behavior is wrong. Like, let's just like throw that regardless of Brandon's, I guess, reaction to her behavior or the storyline that's here or whatever. Lucinda's behavior is 110% wrong on all accounts. Not, because it's potentially cheating on her husband, which is also wrong. But if they have an open relationship, that is what it is. It's not because of that. It's not because it's not even because she's older. Because Brandon is of legal age, so therefore the age is not even the problem. The problem is that Brandon has said no several times, and she will not stop. That is, is it, what's wrong. He, the second he said no, the first time, that should have been the end of it. And the Mm -hmm. idea that she keeps saying, like, oh, this is just something that me and my husband do and we just don't talk about it. Like, I just – it's a completely separate thing, but you mentioned the open relationship piece and I just, like, I don't believe you. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. I do not believe you because you never talk about it in front of your husband. Right. Like, if it was so okay, she wouldn't have to, like – make innuendos at dinner she could just openly say what she wants no she's just doing this because she's a toxic person and she wants to make people uncomfortable and get what she wants correct which speaking of um <laughs> god i'm I, so good at segues well it sort of does because i want to go back there's a scene in between from when brandon says an insensitive thing about 
babes being at the date rape seminar to dinner but i'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and talk about dinner because that that was that was a perfect segue because they're talking about basketball listened is like please stop talking about basketball and then brandon makes that comment about deshaun and deshaun says that brandon is hard which he's to be fair he did say like the first time they met which i never understood what that actually meant but It's then turned very gross <laughs> because then Lucinda, I kid you not, says, I've noticed. I know. <laughs> first of all, first of all, how was that cleared to air in 1993 or four or wherever we are on CBS? How? How? Tell me how. Number two. I can't. How is she into Brandon like this? And number three, did it just skate by Corey like nothing? Because it didn't skate by Deshaun because he had a weird look on his face. Oh, that's the like Deshaun notices all of this. And that's how like his whole storyline for this entire episode comes to be. But yeah, I'm just like, none of this is hiding. No, like no one is trying to be subtle. It's not clever. She might as well like have her foot under the table like. All the way up his leg. Yeah. Or like making, you know, gross like hand gestures at the table. It makes me think of whatever it is. I think it's three drink Amy from Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine-Nine who's a total perv. Like <laughs> it's it's gross. It's disgusting. Because then um, they get up from the table and this is where she propositions him. She's like, yeah, just let's let's just have you ever done it on a kitchen table? Because there's one right here. Let me just move this porcelain bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just, ugh, I hate her. It's bad. She makes me so mad. It's bad. But yeah, and then to go back to the scene in between those two mm -hmm. is with Steve. Because apparently Steve has all of his serious conversations at the Peach Pit, which kind of brings me back to our conversation last episode where we were like, You go to a neutral location where you're like, no one can yell at me at the Olive Garden. Yeah, 100%. No one can yell at me at the Peach Pit. Mm -hmm. And, oh, no, I got that totally wrong. That that doesn't happen until later. But Celeste is still in the scene, and I love her. Oh, my God, yes. She's gorgeous. Like, I can't say it enough how gorgeous this woman is. (laughs) Oh, my God. And she, like, brings him a jacket, and she's like, and it's on sale with my discount. You look so good. Also, how does she get a 40% discount? Right? I mean, they're like, I got, I think I got half off at food when I worked at restaurants, but everywhere else was like, you get 10%. Right, right. Like max. Yeah, like 10%, 20% on holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so they're at the keg house. Celeste got him that cashmere jacket, which is gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Amazing. But then, ew, because Kelly's there, John Sears. I think I wrote ew. Six times. No, sorry. Four ewes and two grosses in this one <laughs> paragraph for this one scene. Because Kelly's there with John. The other keg brother's there, and he's still creepy. And I don't even remember what he said because I just wrote how creepy he was. Mm-hmm. And then Kelly and Celeste are out of the picture for the moment. Go ahead. Oh, I, that's when he says, like, oh, I want to be a fly on the wall in that bathroom. I'm just like, that's right. So you can watch them put on lipstick? What if one of them poops? You want to see that? <laughs> you got to have mean, 
your pre-date poop. I mean, I don't go to the bathroom with a friend to poop, but like sometimes <laughs> you can't stop it. Like you gotta go, you gotta go. Anyway. If if you will, sometimes shit happens. Exactly. And you can't always count on exactly when. But in this case, John thinks that Kelly's gonna sleep with him tonight because apparently she's been giving him the vibe. Gross. The whole scene's gross. And he's very this is kind of like we've seen it already, like outside of Kelly being nearby, like John's creepiness. But really, this is like peak, almost peak creepiness for John's ears. And, and kind of when you realize, oh, he has not changed since he was a senior and Kelly was a freshman in, in high school, which is even more gross than it is now. But because we didn't see it, we're like, oh, God, if he's like this now, what was he like then? Oh my gosh, could you imagine what it would have done to, like, Kelly's mental health if they had actually slept together in this episode? Mm-hmm. Like, because, yeah, he's, like, doing all these things. He's, like, tonight is the night. He then immediately takes her upstairs, I'm pretty sure, because they've already yeah. had dinner. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, you know, got her little jacket thing unbuttoned and is, like, really trying to pressure her into having sex with him. And when she says no, he just starts yelling at her. Mm-hmm. He says – like, I love his list of qualities because they mean absolutely nothing. He's like, I'm a senior. I'm in keg house. I've got girls lined up around the block, and you've got me feeling like I've got the plague. It's like, because you kind of do. Nothing makes me want to sleep with a guy more than when he tells me that he has several people who want to sleep with him. I am the appropriate age to be a senior in college. <laughs> like, that means nothing. There's a thousand more seniors in college on this campus. Like, none of those, yeah, none of those qualifications are like, oh, desirable. Right? None of that was like, I listen to you. I know your favorite (laughs) food. I brought you flowers today. Like, none of that has to do with her. It's just how lucky she should feel to sleep with him. Yeah. Well, and the good news, though, is that Kelly doesn't back down. Right, she takes up first herself. She yells at him, and leaves. So not only did she get to say no, she didn't succumb to his pressure, which is a great thing because he's a big, big dude. So he could easily overpower her, and she gets out of the situation. She immediately leaves, which is great. I'm a little annoyed that she went to Dylan's house and not home to where yeah. she lives with her best friend because it. It pretty constantly feels like the men need to save the women on this show. It's like the men hurt the women, but they also save the women. Yeah. And like, I just, we've already seen Donna like come to her aid for this kind of stuff because literally they talk about the Halloween episode later in this like story. Mm -hmm. And that's the one where Donna was just like, no, you didn't do anything wrong by wearing a dress. That man was a rapist. Yeah, exactly. Like... But whatever, I mean, she, goes, she goes to Dylan's house. He's really pissed off. He wants to fight John Sears. And Kelly's like, no, don't go over there. And he says, okay. Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, like, like yes, I hated that she went to Dylan. I hated that he got macho and fighty about it because that's obviously not the answer and kind of not the point of the entire episode is if we're trying to end violence, Dylan wants to use violence. But whatever, he didn't go to take back the night. So <sighs> anyway. Only thing I liked about this is that this felt more like a friend moment between Dylan and Kelly, like more um, 
kind of that emotional connection we never really got when they were in a relationship because it very it felt a little bit more like okay Dylan wants to be protective of Kelly not just because he was into her for so long it wasn't about sex it was more that John was treating her poorly and he wanted he she doesn't deserve it so it was a slight silver lining for that I don't know the problem with that is when you get to the Brenda and Dylan storyline and you find out everything with them Brenda's telling Dylan to go after Kelly again no yeah I mean motivations in this episode are all over the place and they're priorities are just they're not um they're not in the right place they're just not and yeah so it's like in the moment before you see everything else I'm like okay even though I don't love that she ran to another guy at least they had a good moment between them but then afterwards it's like oh great okay he just is using this to get in her pants again yeah and I mean it's you know it's a dramatic tv show the lines are going to be blurred they have Mm -hmm. to be because people have to break up and get back together and da 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 like yeah i get all of it i i think it just made me super tense oh for sure yeah yeah yeah. like i just need you to be like just friends for a Mm -hmm. little while like i need them to be just friends in the way i feel like brenda and dylan are being just friends right now right Mm -hmm. so we'll see i have no idea where this is going to go. I'm sure they're all going to get back together with each other at some point. Yeah, it's a very incestuous friend group. I mean, everybody's going to date everybody and... And nobody's dating Steve. Yeah, word. Maybe that's um, a sign. Maybe that is another sign that I have been missing, is that Dylan has dated a ton of people in the friend group. They've even tried to, like, pair Brandon off with a couple people in the friend group. David's dating someone in the friend group and not Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know. Together. Yeah. Usually Steve, this man. would be the part where I say I want Steve and Andrea to be together. But after this episode, not anymore. They need to be very far apart. <laughs> they both have questionable opinions. Oh, yeah. my God. Seriously. Yeah. Which we're getting close to that part. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have a couple more scenes left. Because essentially we have a confrontation between Dylan and John who's talking in French to some girl and Steve and Kelly meet up and talk about John Sears and Steve is like, I feel like I'm getting my act together, which is not true. Definitely not true. So not true. And then we actually get to the seminar, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the catalyst that like starts a bunch of other conversations and a lot of other scenes between a lot of different people. So basically... Kelly and the gang meet Laura, who's apparently in Andrea's OCHEM class. And so that's how they are linked. Um, But the important thing is that only Andrea knows that Laura is somewhat connected to Steve. Nobody else knows. Yeah. Um, A a woman named Angela Rhodes starts talking. Like, I hate to make a joke here, but like this weirdly felt like the scene in Mean Girls where she was about to ask if anyone had been personally victimized by Regina George. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what it felt like because it was very like a wide bleacher setting with a bunch of people and one person with a mic and then people responding from the crowd, but without a mic. So that's... Yeah. Well, and it was very like, you know, raise your hands for this, raise your hands for this, raise your hands for this. Like, see, we've all experienced all of these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, she says like held up at gunpoint, been burglarized, been date raped, um, and then also 
did you notice that Dan was there? Yeah. That was the first time I noticed. I was like, interesting. Yeah, because I was so mad that none of the guys showed up. And then Dan was there. And I was like, is this – do I have my opinions wrong about Dan too? Because we had just had our whole steward thing. And then, like, literally the next scene with Dan, I am reminded I don't have my opinions wrong about Dan. Well, and uh, – totally. And I think there's, like, a few – a few thoughts I had. Number one, yes, totally agree. The fact that none of the guys from the main group are there, that's a problem. That's a miss by the writers, no matter what year it is. I don't care if it's 1993, if it's 1947, if it's 1692, or if it's 2021. I don't care. Men need to be there. Mm-hmm. 100%. Just like with um, you know, Black Lives Matter, with LGBTQ rights, People who are not black and people who are not in the LGBTQ community must be there. That it's like, so important. You you have to be an ally. Yes, it's the only option. It's the only option. Um, then my second thought is like I was like, cool, Dan's there because at least he's there. Like on the one, like I don't want to give points for just showing up because that's also not the point. But it that's the first step is to be it, there. <laughs> at, at this point. It kind of is the – like, you kind of do get points just for showing up. Right. Because at least you're showing that you are intrigued and you kind of give a shit. Like, I don't know. And then my third thought was, like, then, yeah, like, okay, later on, like, yeah, Dan's there. You're you're so close, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're so close. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, the next scene in chronological order is the whole thing at the gym. So we mm-hmm. kind of already talked about it. Deshaun sees Lucinda just like being super aggressive towards Brandon. But then we go back out to like the seminar has split into like breakout groups where everyone is giving their experiences in being pressured into having sex, being raped, et cetera, et cetera. And like Donna specifically calls out how her boyfriend will not stop pressuring her into having sex. And I'm just like, how is this not raising giant red flags? Because she keeps seeing him after this and is just like, oh, you. Like, no. That's the thing. It's like she's so willing to just be like, oh, he's a boy. Or, oh, boys will be boys. Yeah. Like, that's just how this is. And I'm weird because I don't want to have sex with him. It's like, girl, no, you're not. Like, you have your morals and ethics and opinions and thoughts and – all of them are valid, no matter what they are. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of valid opinions, no one else has valid opinions. Because this is when Dan says that men rape women, not the other way around, which is just objectively false. That's not <laughs> true at all. And then Andrea is like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm like, no. You're so wrong. You're so completely wrong. And this is the problem. And then they have that whole argument where, like, I didn't even totally follow Andrea's thoughts where she was like, if I have too much to drink and I sleep with a guy, it's my fault. But then if I have too much to drink and I sleep with a guy and then I regret it, it's his fault. I don't know. It was like she was trying to equate drunk driving and being like, if you have too much to drink and get in a car and kill somebody – you are charged with vehicular homicide. It is your fault for drinking too much and getting into a car. She's trying to say it's the same thing if, as a woman, you drink too much at a party and sleep with a guy. It's not the guy's fault for having sex with you. It's your fault for getting drunk and having sex with him, I think. It was so backwards. It was so (laughs) backwards. 
Yeah, because she's like, if I drink and I crash my car, that's my fault. I have control about what I put into my body. So if I sleep with someone while I'm drunk and I regret it, I have to take some responsibility for that action is basically what she's saying. And just completely ignoring the fact that if you are intoxicated, you cannot give consent. Right. Yeah. So, And then, like, it got real weird because Dan tried to argue against her for that, which, again, confused me. Mm Mm-hmm. I did. I didn't understand what like I didn't understand what Dan said at all. I like, I wasn't following. No, and he like after the fact they're mad at each other and they're walking away and he's like I was just trying to argue the feminist point, and I mean I think you know feminism as a movement has done a lot of good things, but I think it is also still fairly flawed because there are still people being excluded from the feminist movement mm-hmm. in 2021. God forbid 1993. But, like, she just got mad at him for trying to have a conversation about a very gray area. Yeah, totally. And I think she got more upset with the fact that he was trying to debate than about what he was saying. Because it's like when they were alone and they were mad, she was like, no, no, no. Like, you're like, yeah, (laughs) I agree with you. But, like, why do you have to embarrass me like that? It's like her ego was bruised more than she disagreed with him which on the one hand I can understand why she would get mad because she probably felt like she wasn't being heard right or like she felt like oh a man's got to tell me how a woman's supposed to feel like that part I get I just don't think it was made clear that that's what she was mad at yeah I could definitely see like this was supposed to be a safe place for people to talk because I mean I don't remember exactly what and I think Dylan's the one that said it is this is only very recently after take back the night became like inclusive of men and women right and so I think that you know in Andrea's mind this is supposed to be like this is supposed to be a safe space to talk about you know all of these different things and like literally feeling safe and Dan a man tried to argue a point with her in that safe space yeah which again is like that's the point is that it is supposed to be a safe space where you can have differing opinions and be okay talking about it and not feel attacked or not feel um like anything you're saying is getting shot down but I just don't think they did a good job handling that no I completely agree But then we go over to another small group and Laura and – well, actually, sorry. This is before um, they're in that small group. Laura approaches Kelly and they're discussing something and Kelly encourages Laura to kind of talk to her about something and not, oh, this is where things kind of go off the rails. Because basically Laura's talking about her experience being that she thinks that she was date raped because she – feels that a man forced herself on him, I mean, on her, um, to have sex with her. And the problem is, is Kelly doesn't know it's Steve. And at this point, I couldn't tell if, and this is horrible to think, but I couldn't tell if Laura Laura knew that Kelly was friends with Steve. And so that's why she told, she picked Kelly to tell, you know what I mean? Like, 
I could not tell if she was almost manipulating Kelly because she knew that Kelly knew Steve. And so she wanted to get Kelly's buy-in before she revealed, oh, it, by the way, it's Steve. And that was horrible to think of because that's me, again, with rose-colored glasses with Steve. Yeah, I mean, that's what gets really interesting is that the way Laura interpreted the event and the way that she's telling it to Kelly and Kelly saying she believes Laura, like, I mean, I feel like that's a hard stop right there. Like, yeah. The story that Laura is telling is classically date rape. Mm-hmm. And, like, the idea that Kelly is so okay with that and is just like, I believe you, you know, she even – like I kind of wrote down the version of the story from later where she's like Steve poured her some vodka, which I did try and think back to the episode. I know we saw Steve give her a beer mm-hmm. and then they were making out. Somehow my dress got unbuttoned. Then he got really aggressive and pushed me on the bed. And like, it just blows my mind that Kelly is just like, Oh my God, it was John Sears. He did this to you. It's he's definitely a rapist. But then when she finds out that it's Steve, she's like, well, you must be a, you must have misunderstood the situation. Right. And that number 1 is still happening to this day where people might believe somebody who claims that they've been a victim of sexual assault until a certain point, like until they learn new information or whatever it is. But then also that it was a little surprising that Kelly was quick to believe her. Just because I feel like even today, and maybe this was different back then, women are not quick to believe. It's that whole, no, we're not going to believe you until you can prove me without a definitive or without a shadow of a doubt that this happened. Yeah. I mean, like, I can already see places where in, you know, court or anywhere else, she wouldn't be believed. Like, okay, well, you yeah. had some alcohol. Like, you didn't have to drink the alcohol. Okay, you went to his room and made out with him. You didn't have to do that. Oh, your mm-hmm. dress got unbuttoned. Why did, like, why did you let him unbutton your dress? It's always or why were you her wearing fault. a dress? Or, yeah, yeah. What kind of dress did that was that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it, it just. It's makes also me just a thing that's so common today, where people are just like, "Believe women until you accuse my friend." Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's that was another thing I was thinking a lot about after I watched this episode is like, there are so many men in this world and, you know, women too, that have done horrible things to certain people, but do not do them to their family and friends. Like if you asked, uh, Brock Turner's grandmother, if he was a good person, she'd say yes. If you ask Chanel Miller, if Brock Turner is a good person, she would say no. Yeah. Because he doesn't give a shit about Chanel Miller. He cares about, you know, his friends from high school and his grandmother and his sisters and, you know, whoever. Like, both of those things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's all based on your different experiences. Like, I mean, that's, like, I, I mean, I have a friend who shall remain nameless just for the sake of anonymity, but whose family member did something very bad. I'm... I won't even talk about what it is because it's not important, but just did something very objectively bad. Like it's illegal. (laughs) And she personally was like, yeah, no, that guy, like he's kind of dead to me at this point. And I totally believe he did it because there's proof. And even if there wasn't proof, he was kind of always like weird. But then she was telling me like there were members of her family that were, 
closer than she was to him that were just like, we're just going to hide this under the rug. We're not going to tell anybody what happened. We're going to pretend it didn't happen and we're not going to talk about it. And if it's brought up when he's around, we're just going to ignore it and all of that. And it's like, I get it's family, but it's like, okay, but call a spade a spade. Like if you do something bad, you do something bad. It's mm-hmm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't know. No, I mean, I think that's absolutely like on point here. And I feel like there's still a lot of, you know, crimes like sex crimes people seem to just like somehow forgive like oh my god he made a mistake just Mm -hmm. following that girl behind a dumpster like but then and then the same point going on further to that is that in that specific case I want to say the judge was like for the rationale on giving him the sentence that he gave him was like I don't want to ruin this guy's life yeah no that was their (laughs) argument was like you can't let five minutes ruin the rest of his life it's like bruh he ruined her life do you really think that it was just five minutes for her like that is what's so missed and i know we're getting very close into tangent and like very close to both all of us just getting too heated about it but like all of this seems to be focused on one singular person when there's always two people involved and people seem to forget that Sure, the accused has a life, but what about the freaking accuser? Like, what about the person who this was done to? That seems to be lost in everything. Well, and it's saying that, like, he's not responsible for his actions. It was only five minutes. Like, no, you cannot tell me that this has never come up at some point else in his life. People are habitual. They don't do this just the one time. And if he, you know, if this was the first time that he tried to do it, it means that he realized he could get away with it. Yeah, and he'll probably do it again. It was in his head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, things just aren't that random or that, like, coincidental. Like, things happen for a reason. Things don't just happen. Yeah, I mean, like, you'll see it anytime you look up, you know, news articles. I don't remember which one I saw most recently. I'll try and find it again, and I can put it in the notes if I find it. But it's like when – cities actually put the effort into like ending their backlogs for rape kits and you know counties and et cetera et cetera like they'll end up going through hundreds of rape kits and find multiple serial rapists it just keeps happening like that's ridiculous you get away with it and then you just keep doing it because nobody cares and they're like well my brother definitely wouldn't have done that thing Mm -hmm. well and to that point which is a whole other discussion but You could call, like, if you call what that person does a mistake, reform it, right? Like, make sure it's a one-time thing. And you do that by punishment, by rehabilitation, by correcting behavior. Like, that's the part that I think is also very hard to think about and to come to terms with is that people call it a mistake, but then don't do anything about it. They assume it's a one-time thing or they assume it was a mistake in the sense that it'll never be done again. Just because like, let's even put it in plain terms of like things that like, um, I forgot to put the trash can out outside the garage on trash day. That was a mistake. Did I do it again? Absolutely. I've forgotten to put the trash outside so many times. So how do I fix that? 
you just you make a plan to put the trash can out on Sunday evening, not wait until Monday morning. You you find something that works for you that's going to correct the behavior. Well, and I think that's what people don't realize is like, yeah, okay, sure, it's a mistake, but mistakes happen all the time. I mean, there needs to be an education about it. Like that's the whole right. idea of like men need to be involved in these conversations too so that everyone can talk to each other. Like it's it's exactly. toxic masculinity, it is toxic toxic feminism. I don't feminity? know the actual yeah. <laughs> feminism is a little weird to me. So that's why I went with like the feminism, but it's like there there needs to be growth and maturity and conversations and yeah, like you said, there needs to be punishment. We can't just keep saying, like, well, Steve wouldn't do that thing. Like mm-hmm. maybe Steve did do that thing and she should go to the police and there should be proof. Right. Like, there should be a conversation. She should have to give evidence. He should have to give evidence. Like I can almost absolutely guarantee you that the fact that they have evidence that she's been calling and calling and calling and calling is gonna bite her in the ass. But that's not but the it's point. still yeah it's it's still part of it it's part of the story it's part yeah. of what happened anyway let's let's move on shall we <laughs> i mean uh, we can't really move on move on but we can at least move forward in the show um basically there's a short scene about with brandon and deshaun and he's trying to tutor him and Deshaun doesn't want to listen to it and because he's boring as hell by the way totally 100 percent. he's just reading out of the textbook oh yeah he's a bad tutor and then that's when Deshaun's like oh hey dude saw you with professor's wife what's up with that yeah I mean like Deshaun is not stupid He's like, no, I saw you do this. You're going to take the test for me and you're going to pass it. Or I'm going to tell the professor what you've been doing with his wife. Right. Which, by the way, would likely ruin her career, her marriage, maybe cause some problems for Brandon, but probably not because why would they? Right, right. And then I guess like they could make the argument that Brandon – once he had all the facts, he stopped things and has been saying no. The only thing Brandon can really be accused of, quote unquote, in this scenario is like not being truthful to the professor. Yeah. And I mean, let's let's be honest and bring it back to the theme of the episode is women don't rape men. So mm-hmm. like nothing would happen here truly. Right. Everyone would just be like, oh, man, Brandon, that's she's such a hot anthropologist. Mm hmm. Yeah, like people would be more upset with Brandon if he didn't sleep with her. Yeah. Than that she was being aggressive toward him. Oh, absolutely. Anyway. So then we jump back um, to the small group because Kelly had encouraged Laura to talk to more people about it. Um, And so this small group consists of Kelly, Laura, Donna, Angela, I believe. Um, And there could have been another person, probably an extra. I don't think they had lines. Um, but Laura is describing the situation and she doesn't want to say his name, but does say that he's from Keg House. Um, she describes it and from her perspective, it really does sound like he was extremely forceful and, and she claims that she begged him to stop, um, and that he wouldn't stop. And so basically that's when Kelly thinks it was John Sears, John Sears, Laura then reveals, no, it's Steve. And now 
Kelly, like we've been talking about, thinks that's a mistake, that Steve would never do that. That's not who Steve is. Um, And then essentially Laura accuses Kelly of doing everything a man does, quote, when a woman comes forward, which is 100% true. Yeah, it is. I mean, after that, like Kelly goes to confront Steve Mm -hmm. and he denies everything. And I just... At this point, I started getting really upset. Yeah. Because we've turned this into a he said, she said. Like, we have to decide who do we trust more, this woman that we've never – that we've met one other time and that we know is being um, somewhat desperate to talk to Steve, or do we believe believe the guy that we've known for three and a half seasons and that we know his ups and downs? Just, I mean, it's essentially essentially like literally are we Kelly or are we not? (laughs) Yeah, and I think – is this the point where he gives his side of the story? Yeah. Yeah, because he says, like, she was being really aggressive and she was a partier and she's the one that pulled the condom out of her bag and he wasn't even going to take it that far until mm-hmm. she did. Yeah, and the problem, too, not the problem, but a problem is that he's actually more concerned with losing Celeste than he is a potentially getting kicked out of Keg House and potentially the school. And, like... Yeah, because the next time we see Steve, I believe, is the time he actually does tell Celeste. And she even says, like, I don't think you would do it, but you did sleep with her, right? Mm-hmm. And He's know, like, I wish I could tell you no, but I can't. Yeah, and so that's when she breaks up with him. But it's the same thing that I've said before. Like, good guys, in quotes, can still rape people. Like, yeah. He didn't do that to Celeste because he really cares about Celeste, but he does not give a shit about Laura. Right. It can be both. I mean, it's that thing of, like, when people say, like, every serial killer has a mom and a dad, you know? It's it's like, I mean, they're still human beings. They come from normal people sometimes, but that doesn't mean that they're not bad. No, and I mean, like, you know, they're when serial killers don't get caught for like 50 years and they get married and have kids and people are just like, I can't even believe that it would be him. Yeah. Like the classic case is Ted Bundy and Ann Rule, who was like a crime writer, knew him and was friends with him the entire time that he was doing what he was doing. And she was just like, no, it's not Ted. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's such a, bias i think it's what is it um unconscious bias is that what it is i think or is it or is that more like that's something different anyway it's it's just such a strong like you believe what you want to believe kind of situation yeah because you see him in one setting Mm -hmm. you don't see him in the other exactly um and also something that happens around this time is steve approaches laura and uses physical force. He gets so aggressive with her. When he grabbed her arm, I mm-hmm. got so mad. I was scared. I was just like, this is – don't touch her. Yeah. Like, do not touch her. You stay five feet away from her at a minimum. Yeah, the problem is touching, not if she hears you or not. Like, yeah. the problem is – like, the whole reason this wasn't – even got started is because you guys were touching. Well, and, like, truly – she believes that she was date raped. And so to have your rapist come and grab you and start yelling at you, mm-hmm. like, come on, y'all. It just, it, it sucks. It sucks yeah. so much. And it makes me so upset. And like, 
I don't I don't know what's going to happen to Laura, but I can't imagine it's going to be anything good. Oh, totally. It never ends well. It never ends well for scenarios like this. Um, the only other comment I wanted to mention was in the breakup scene between Steve and Celeste. I can't believe, I mean, I can believe, but just from what I know about our BFF Celeste, she felt like she was never good enough. She felt like she was never enough for Steve. And now the signs were there a hundred percent because he did cheat on her twice and never made her a priority. But I'm like, homegirl, you are enough. Like You're an angel. Yeah. Like, I probably have the biggest crush on her out of anybody on this damn show. And we've seen her for, like, ten episodes. Not know, even. Right? Like, fuck everyone else in this group. Let's just turn this show into Celeste. Yeah. Beverly Hills, 90210. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway. I just wanted to mention that because I just – I hate – when people are made to feel like they're not enough, like that to me is one of the saddest feelings is, I mean, let's be real. We probably all have felt like we're not, we haven't been enough for somebody before. And I just feel like that's such a horrible feeling to have because there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make someone like you more or care for you more or whatever it is. But that feeling of just not, feeling like you're enough it's so debilitating and I just feel so bad if Celeste felt like that speaking of someone being an asshole Mm -hmm. because I feel like you know up until the actual like final take back the night rally um Mm -hmm. like the day of it David is supposed to go cover it and he doesn't want to. And he's even on the phone with the radio station being like well Donna can totally cover this which by the way, Donna doesn't work for the radio station anymore, right? Right. I thought. Right? But he doesn't want to go because he's tired of hearing women talk about rape. And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, that's real. You know what else is real? AIDS and my dad being an asshole and all of these other things. And like it just – this feels like the argument that keeps happening is just like, oh, well, you think that was bad? What about this over here? It's all whataboutism. He also then says, you know what else is real? My girlfriend won't sleep with me. And she's just like, oh, David. Like. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. I hate David so much. I, I have no words for how much of a horrible person that he is. I just have to say, like, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like throwing the farm out there but like there are things that happen in the rest of the show that don't make him better like I still remember certain plot lines that have to happen to David (laughs) and it's not good (laughs) I just I it was another thing I was thinking about I was going through everything that's happened with David and we started the show with him being like they were trying to play him off as annoying little brother but he was taking pictures of girls through windows. He was making all these uncomfortable comments. In the very last episode, he told Donna that they should get married just so they can fuck and then they'll get it annulled. Yeah. Does he even know her? Like, that's not how that works. Mm-mm. And that's not how, like, 
if honestly, if he would have just not said the annulment part, it would have been better. Like not good still, but better. He's because that's basically saying like that's like not even being clever about it to Donna. Like, ugh. No, he's just mean to her. And then he shits on her and then he tries to sleep with her. And then when she says no again, which she's been clear about forever, he's meaner to her. It's just really interesting because I feel like we haven't seen a lot of sweet moments between the two of them. Like I feel like with for all of Brenda and Dylan's volatility and for all of Kelly and Dylan's like only sexual attraction without emotional attachment, I feel like at least with them and even – hell even brandon and nikki <laughs> like we got sweet moments despite the flaws like despite the fact that dylan got really aggressive with brenda you know after the jack situation like the first time and when he she finds out that or, or when she says like no dylan you can't drink you're an alcoholic or whatever like we still saw so many moments that were like oh my god they're so good together and even with kelly and dylan like they were cute for a hot minute, right? Like they knew each other forever. This was like a long time cut, like blah, blah, blah. With David and Donna, the sweet moments and the good moments are so few and far between. I sometimes even forget they're together. Mm -hmm. No, he's just mean to her. I don't like She's it. Weird. She's I, weird. I really need them to break up. I'm so yeah. tired of it. Mm. Well, anyway, after that horrible scene, um, we go to the Walsh house. Steve is talking to Brandon about everything that happened. He's saying he wants to go to the rally. Um, and he wants Brandon there with him because basically, um, Kelly told Steve that Laura was going to out him at the rally. This is a case of Brandon being a bad friend. Brandon is the fucking worst. I mean, he's probably like the third worst in this episode, truthfully. <laughs> but that's saying something uh, when our like, usual worst is third worst. Yeah, because like, I mean, first of all, the fact that he said, you stray, you pay, my brother. Like, sir. Gross. Stop it. Yeah. And then, yeah, like Steve says that he wants to go to the rally and he, you know, wants support there. And Brandon is just like, I actually have some shit to do for myself. So, no. Rain check. And, yeah, the fact that he's just like, I'm sorry, Steve, that you're about to get accused of rape publicly in front of other people. I'm getting blackmailed by one person for not having sex. My life is hard. It's like literally, even if you take away the fact that Brandon's a bad friend and, and like, this is, just like, your best friend talking to you and needing your support, this rally has a time limit. Like, it's, like, from... I don't know. Let's just call it 9 to 11 p.m. You can talk to Deshaun anytime. Yeah. I anytime. Mean, the, you could call him on the phone. The uh, exam is not happening tonight. Yeah. You have time. But no, Brandon has to prioritize himself. He doesn't prioritize his friend. So then when he does that, he goes to talk to Deshaun. Apparently Deshaun, well, we already knew that he wanted Brandon to take his midterm for him or he's telling the professor about him and Lucinda. But then Brandon gets his moment to be high and mighty and just be like, go ahead, tell him, I don't care because I'm not going to take your test. Basically getting Brandon the time to be morally on high ground. Um, 
but Sean's like, you don't understand. I can't take the midterm. I, midterm, I can't take the test. I won't be on the team. Coach will, I think he said, coach will lose me from the team, which I was like, what grammar is that? But anyway, mm-hmm. um, which we learned, I, I don't remember when we learned it was a take-home exam. Later. Okay. We, haven't we learned, learned it's it a take-home exam later. But once we know that, I'm like, Deshaun, look in your book. All the answers right. will be there. You could take the test with other people. It's a take-home. Yeah. Literally. No, as soon as they said that, I, like, I almost, like, threw my iPad. I was just like, I give up. <laughs> I absolutely give up on this entire show. Everybody just makes everything so hard all the time. They really do. Like, come on. But yeah, so he, like, does all this stuff, and, like, the scene with the take-home test is later, but he does somehow make it to the rally to be with Steve. And, like, David's Mm -hmm. there and covering it with Donna. Dylan is there in the crowd. John Sears is there with a bunch of keg guys doing something. I feel like they were mocking it. And, like, scouring the crowd for, like, hot girls or something. Which I think has actually been a legitimate problem at Take Back the Night stuff where, like, people mock it at rallies. Which is, like, (laughs) this is the definition of, like, why we need safe spaces. Yep. And Dan is there. And he apologizes to Andrea easily. And then they just, like, get over it. Yeah. She's just like, oh, okay. And then they, like. How can I say no to that? And then they, like, kiss at this rally, which is fine, but there was a little part of me that was just like, this is kind of weird, y'all. Like, this is a rape rally. I wouldn't want to be, like, touching right now. I also thought they weren't together anymore. I – so I also had that thought because I was like, we haven't seen Dan in so long. Mm -hmm. But the reason we haven't seen Dan is because we've been so focused on the Brenda and Stuart story yeah. That we just, like, have not seen any other side characters for a while. It's true. That's like, true. They've still existed. They've still been there. but And it's mm-hmm. really only been, like, four episodes since we've seen him. Right. Because, yeah, I was like, Dan? But yeah, no, he's still there. He's still doing things. Doing Dan things. But, yeah, then it's time for Laura to speak out. She looks nervous. And then Kelly is like, I'm going to usurp this moment. I'm going to speak for you. I'm going to tell my story and then (laughs) tell you how you're wrong, but not blatantly tell you how you're wrong. I was so mad at this moment. I was like, did she actually tell anybody? Like, I think it was Angela Rhodes that was like up and talking who said like, oh, and we have somebody that wants to give her story. And like, did Kelly tell anyone that she was going to do this or did she just make the last minute decision to just jump on stage tell this story, name Steve as a protector of women, and then, like, drop the mic and go. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I don't think she told anybody. I think she just was like, I'm going to steal this, intercepted, and do my thing. Yeah. No. Like, this is so bad. Like, again, this is a moment, which we talked about plenty of times on the hard-hitting episodes, where they had a wonderful chance to do it right. And they just went so far in the other direction that it's – a bit unbelievable no and like everything gets weird after this moment because they basically just like drop all of this and like the ending of the rally is 
when Brenda comes up to Dylan and is like, here, you want some pie? And then he pies John Sears in the face. Which is great. I'm glad he got pied. He deserved it. He deserves a lot worse. But was now the time to do that. Right. <laughs> and then, like, he aggressively kisses Kelly. I, Which, like, she oh, was I, okay with it, but... I was real mad about that, too. You know I don't like surprise kisses. Oh, I know. <laughs> anyway, I mean, that ends the rally. It just, like, yeah, it, like, all of a sudden just, like, wraps up too much. Like, yeah. too much, like, okay, we're done. Bye. Yeah. Um. And so, like, there's still more that happens in the episode that I want to talk about, but I want to take a quick pause because I found an article from Us Magazine. It was an interview with Ian Ziering. Uh, February 4th, 2015. And so I guess they had like, you know, meant to talk with Steve or Ian about stuff. And okay, so here's what he says. He says, there is an episode when Steve is accused of rape. He tells HuffPost Live. They edited out so much powerful stuff. That was like the first time I really got some great words to say. I brought games and it never even made it through the edit. The season four episode called Take Back the Night left Ziering feeling betrayed, and he reacted emotionally by tearing his dressing room apart. I'm not a volatile person. I have a very long fuse. But after working so hard on this particular episode, I just didn't feel like they were with me on this one, he explained to the meltdown. Ziering said some of his co-stars even supported his destructive reaction. Priestley felt his lashing out at the show's producers was deserved. Wow. And, like, I have literally no idea what they cut out. I can't find it anywhere. It had to have been it had to have been something about either another confrontation maybe between Steve and Laura or even maybe just like even Steve having a moment with Brandon or Kelly mm-hmm. or Celeste or something and like the idea that that got cut out but Luke, uh, Dylan pieing John Sears in the face stayed in and all of the stuff about the animals almost doing it at the beginning like I have a lot of issues especially now with like again hindsight of how this show got edited and what made it in and what didn't right yeah because we could have even taken out the stuff about David complaining about having to do the rally I, I honestly don't think you can because David needs to continue to be a shitbag. I mean, word. But, like, truthfully, it contributed nothing. It contributed nothing. And then, like, I this is one of the first times we've seen Deshaun in a while, and he got a super shitty episode. Like, mm-hmm. none of this makes him look good. I mean, I'm trying to think of other things that we could have cut out. And I'm just like, you could have done the Deshaun stuff later. None well, of this had to happen. And – which this kind of segues into the ne- the last scene. Because honestly, there was one other scene about Brandon talking to Lucinda. And that's when we found out it was a take-home test. And Lucinda was like, just do his test. Like, encouraging him to cheat. And then he was like, don't you think this was... Or she said, don't you think this was the plan all along? I know. Like, what the fuck is she talking about? So clearly she's just a corrupt human being who condones cheating not just on her husband but on Tess, who thinks that her husband is a diabolical mastermind to keep Deshaun eligible by assigning Brandon as his tutor and then forcing him to take his test for him. Yeah, which, like, I know student-athletes get, you know, treated differently and that 
I don't know, maybe that was the plan all along is that there was going to be a take-home test that it would be easier for Deshaun. Mm -hmm. But like you said, that would be really diabolical to have made this the plan and not tell Brandon about it. Yeah, like at least clue him in. But anyway, so there's that scene, which again, could have taken it out. But then the very last scene, Brandon's at home. He is packing a bag. He wears tidy whities by the way. (laughs) And in his drawer, he has a picture of the Emily Valentine. In his tidy whitey drawer. Like, stuck in there. Not at the bottom. Not at the top. In the middle. I and exploded. I was to so be <laughs> to be honest, I got mixed up and thought the next episode was this episode, and I thought she was gonna remember last episode. I said there's gonna be a guest star amongst all the other normal guest stars. Technically, there were. Technically, there were. <laughs> However, I got mixed up. Um, but he just tells Brenda that he needs space. I guess, because he's definitely had the worst of it this episode. And he just leaves. I just, everything has to be about Brandon. We get it. Yeah. (laughs) For as many good episodes as this show has, like the last episode, which was so good, I feel like we aren't allowed to have great episodes without then immediately getting it followed with a bad episode. Yeah. And actually... Speaking of that, I do have Variety's review of this episode when it aired. And we're not alone in thinking this. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, Okay, so this is kind of long, and I am not as practiced in reading things as Mary is, so forgive me. Um, Okay. Beverly Hills 90210 has a spotty record on dealing with major issues. Some, such as alcoholism, teen sex, and pregnancy, have been dealt with responsibly and fully. Others such as incest, compulsive gambling, and diet pill abuse, have not been handled well. In this episode, date rape falls into the latter category. Overall, however, producers have done a fine job this season with the characters' transition from high school to college, making good use of the more varied, mature situations offered by the new locale. It goes into a short synopsis. Uh... Laura and Steve's versions are told to Kelly in a he-said-she-said fashion, but this presentation does not give the air of ambiguity that colors many such cases. The subject has been looked at more completely this season on other shows, including Picket Fences and Sisters, which I don't know if those are episodes of other shows or actual shows, so I kind of want to look that up. Um... Unfortunately, the 90210 producers and scripter Chip Johansson show the accusation of date rape as the refuge of a scorned woman. Certainly, there are women who use rape accusations for revenge, and consent between sexually involved people is important. But by presenting a false claim of rape, this episode sends a message that women who say they were raped aren't to be believed. It's a good idea to present more than one point of view about an issue, but using the same scenario and manipulating it unreasonably is not the way to do so. The SEG occasionally gives lip service to various points of view about rape, such as that women need to be responsible for their own behavior and that pressured sex, even within the confines of a relationship, can be construed as rape. The script really strains when Brenda and Dylan debate whether Andrew Marvel's to his coy mistress is rape. Neither the poem nor the poet is identified. Clearly, Fox has a lot of faith in its audience's knowledge of 17th century romantic poetry. 
James Whitmore Jr.'s direction is fine, as are other tech credits. I don't disagree with anything that it said, except that the direction was fine. (laughs) I know. I just love that it ends with, like, direction was fine, as are other tech credits. I would just like to point to the movie theater whatever scene (laughs) in Kelly's Knees. Um. But it, it, that is a good point. We didn't really talk about the part where they're in their romantic poetry class and they get in an argument yeah. in class about whether or not the poem is about date rape, which like kind of sucked because all I could think of was like 17th century romantic poets did not write about date rape. I'm sorry. They just didn't. I don't even know that that term existed in the 17th century. Like that's not if- that's not how people thought about women back then. Well, and even if it was, it wouldn't be clear. Yeah. Um, I read the poem this morning because I was curious. Oh, yeah? Um, And my take on it is that it's mostly just about a guy being like, girl, you're going to be dead in the grave before you let me bang you. So let me bang you. (laughs) (laughs) So no action was taken. It was more just like. Yeah, our our life our life expectancy is probably thirty years. So why don't we bang it out? Basically, that's what I got from it. (laughs) Got it. Interesting update. It looks like Picket Fences is a TV show. It is about an aging aging sheriff tries to keep the peace in Rome, Wisconsin, a small town plagued by bizarre and violent crimes. Interesting. Oh, Holly Marie Combs is in this. Why do I know that name? Charmed. Hmm. Don Cheadle is in this. Hey. <laughs> Should I watch this show? <laughs> and then, oh, it looks like Sisters was also an American TV series on NBC. Who's in this one? Susie Kurtz is in this one. Why do I know that name? Uh, because she's amazing. You know her. From such hits as, <laughs> hold on, I'm loading. Hold on. Liar, liar. Cruel intentions. Get over it. Bubble boy. Uh, the magic school bus. Oh, <laughs> the wild thornberries. <laughs> wow. Pushing daisies. And a lot of theater. <laughs> Great. I now have a clear picture of who this person <laughs> is. I don't need any further explanation. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... uh. That's this episode, and I guess next episode we're going to see Brandon go find Emily Valentine? We'll see. That episode is episode, uh, sorry, season four, episode 12, Radar Love. I kind of wish they were just obvious, and it was just like season four, episode 12, the one where Brandon goes to find Emily Valentine because he has no (laughs) idea what he's doing. Yeah. Brandon needs space, so he goes to Emily Valentine. Brandon camping. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon does not understand toxic relationships. Okay, well, Um, I guess until then, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Back2Podcast. And before we do that, 
I did have a quote of the week. Oh, I forgot. Because, yeah, I, I also – to ask. <laughs> that was my bad. I just skipped it because I was like, I'm not writing this episode. Oh, I didn't – yeah. Yeah. So I just – I skipped the quote. Um, Man, the only ones I wrote down were bad ones or Brandon is hard and you stray, you pay, my brother. Mary, so, um, any thoughts? My quote of the week was actually a moment of silence. However, it was when um, Brandon pulled the picture of Emily Valentine out of his panty drawer. <laughs> um, but also Donna calling John's ears a snake. So I didn't write down the words. That's fine. Um, is it was- is it when Corey says, "Okay, fine, we'll double team him"? No, but that's a good one. <laughs> I didn't even come across that one. It actually was just anytime Brandon didn't want to go to dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's still happening? Yeah. Oh, that's tonight? Yeah, Lucinda's is a player, all right. Like all the the negative things he would say to anybody about going to dinner. That was the only moment of like levity to me. This episode was so weird. I know. I'm like, I just feel like it shouldn't have had moments of levity. Right. Right. It bothers me so much every time that they're just like, well, this was really sad, so we got to do something about that. Like, no, you don't. Do it next week. Yeah. Keep keep it sad. Keep it in the – in. I don't know. Keep it in the right vibe or mood or whatever. Yeah, because it's so jarring when you pie someone in the face. Yeah. It's like – it's like emotional whiplash. It really is. Anyway, that's all. Speaking of emo- emotional whiplash, I'm sure we'll see some next week. Oh, definitely. Based on the first sentence of the synopsis, definitely. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I guess follow us on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and send us electronic mail. <laughs> um, thoughts, questions, comments. I'm actually very curious what you all thought of this episode. Like independent from what we thought, just your general opinions and if you kind of like how you think about these tough, hard hitting episodes. Because generally, I think we all agree. Like we love that the show does this, but it's just not always done in a way that it probably should be. So. Let us know your thoughts. If you've got long thoughts via email, hit us up at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I mean, don't forget to, you know, like, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, all that kind of stuff on your podcast app. All that stuff really helps us get seen. It, you know, helps us get a little bit of feedback too. If you don't feel like, you know, sending us DMs or emails and we just really appreciate seeing them. Yeah, we love those reviews, and um, if you if you do give us a review, we'll shout you out. I mean, same with any other comment or message or anything like that, we'll shout you out. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah, so from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm Ariel. I'm Caitlin. I'm Mary. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs>